Um, shock gasp? No, I did not. Can you tell me about him? Now I don't have to say it. I'm holding it up with my penis, actually. I feel dirty and not in a good way. But he's a racist, probably. Oh, don't get me started on the Native Americans. Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome back to the Renaissance episode 93, Booty Call Part 6 or something. Something. Excited. Oh, well, we're up to the Patsy Conspiracy of 1478 again. Right. But talking about it now in context of its impact on the art of Botticelli uh, and therefore its impact on the art of the world. Little did they know the Patsy conspiracists and Pope Sixtus that by killing Giuliano de' Medici, they were going to directly lead to the creation of the greatest artworks in history and certainly the greatest uh, uh, major turning point in terms of non-religious art in the world Mm. Uh, and probably the greatest, a couple of the greatest masterpieces to come out of the Lorenzo de' Medici era of Florence and the Renaissance. So, you know, these things are all connected. Uh, which I think right. is uh, fascinating when you think about, you know, the the atoms involved here. Right? Like uh, maybe without the party conspiracy, Botticelli would have ended up here anyway. But what we know is due to the party conspiracy, you know, he definitely started doing things a little bit differently. Right. So uh, Giuliano was killed. Uh, if you haven't heard our party conspiracy episodes, then... Why are you listening to this one? Like, yeah, go back duh. and listen to these yeah. shows in order, dumbasses. Come on. These is, we're doing them in order for a fucking reason. We're not just yeah. scattergun here. There's Chrono a method to our madness. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now, Booty was probably in the church that day, I have to assume. We know Poliziano was there. We know Pico was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to assume, because they're all part of the same group, that Booty Call was probably in the church that day. He was a very religious man, Damn. despite being a great right. humanist. And it was a big day for Florence, a uh, big day for Lorenzo. Yeah, represent. So there's a good chance he was there and was a witness to the murder of Giuliano uh, and the attempted murder of Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. He was also, of course, there when the conspirators were hung by the neck from the window of the Bargello, uh, and he was commissioned to paint them hanging on the walls of the Bargello. Oh, shit. He received 40 florins for his work on the 21st of June, 1478, to paint the dead hanging bodies of the ones that had been executed at that point. Others were executed later. And uh, one of them, he wasn't available, so they got Leonardo da Vinci to uh, paint that hanging body. Of course, all of these paintings were destroyed later. when um, the, So they went to war with Sixtus and Venice, obviously, again. Yeah. Then the Moors threatened to attack Italy. 
and that it was all put behind them and those paintings were removed from the walls. That was part of yeah. the peace deal with the Pope. You've got to get rid of those paintings of my bishops and priests hanging. Yeah. They're like, oh, right. You know, this is a Botticelli and a Da Vinci, right? Like, these are going to be worth millions one day. And he's like, millions, millions, I'm the Pope. And they got it down. Exactly. Now, but so if we think about, though, all of this, all of the grief here, how does this affect an artist? What should an artist paint after this? Religious-themed paintings? The fucking Pope just had one of your best friends murdered in a church by priests. Are you really going to sit down after this and go, hmm, I think I'll paint Madonna and the baby Jesus being all serene and shit. No, you must be thinking, fuck this religion, fuck the Jesus, fuck the Pope. Exactly. I'm not painting that shit, and no one's commissioning that shit either. No one's like, hey, no one in Florence... Hey, let's paint a nice religious. No, people are like, "Fuck the Pope." Let's let's Hard. let's turn this shit up a little bit. All right. Yeah, let's move away from that. According to Gebhardt's book, he says he now abandoned himself to the enchantments of the Florentine Renaissance. But mm. this delicate and, if I dare say, feminine soul was shaken by a violent tremor on the day of the Pazzi incident. In the destiny of those men whom he so admired and loved, in the death of this young Giuliano, idol of Florence, he sensed the fragility of life and the vanity of joy. He took a wound to his heart that would never heal. And as we said, I don't know how many episodes ago, I mean, these guys, the the part of the Renaissance is about, let's focus on the here and now, what happens on earth. And when you see, when you, either see someone brutally murdered in front of you, especially someone that you care about that gets reinforced. Yeah. I have to worry about the here and now because one day I won't be here. I don't know about the whole heaven thing, but one day we will not be here. Let's embrace life while we can. How could that attitude not be reinforced by what has just happened? Bit like coronavirus. Yes. How's your life changed? Um, What new appreciations do you have cam since this pandemic has hit? Well, I, I made a ton of money during it and bought a new car, so there was that. Um, did that feed your soul? It's been great for me. <laughs> it did. It really did. Yeah. No, it's uh, okay. It's been the most profitable two months I've had in fifteen years. I just hope it would continue. So. Except the okay, whole the- Fox not being in school thing. If we could just right. leave that bit out, keep the school, bring on the lockdown, just right. keep the schools open. That's all I ask. Yeah. Boy, that went bad. Anyway. Now, he started painting portraits of Giuliano is what he started to do here. Oh, yeah. Probably commissions, uh, maybe by the family, maybe by friends, maybe people who in Florence who wanted to honour Giuliano, two of these portraits survive. One seems to be a copy of the other. And if you look at those paintings and then you look at the St. Sebastian, yeah, they look similar. Yes. I mean, the, the Giuliano portraits, his eyes are closed or, or shuttered, looking downwards. I did read some suggestion it might have been a death mask that he was right. modelling it from. Mm. Uh, maybe that was a thing then. You painted the death mask. Um but it, it definitely has a strong resemblance to the young man in the St. Sebastian painting. Right. 
But then come the paintings that we all know, the Primavera uh, and, of course, the birth of Venus. Now, as we've said many times before, there is a suggestion that the the women in these were modelled on Simonetta Vespucci, mm-hmm. the lover slash mistress of Giuliano, who herself died tragically in 1476, two years before Giuliano and four years before he painted these paintings. There is a lot of debate over that, I have to say. Some scholars say, nah, it's all bullshit. They, they don't even look the same, these women. Uh, other scholars say, yeah, well, he's, he's doing variations and versions yeah. based on the same woman, he's trying to come up with different aspects. Ide- they're idealised versions, maybe, right. of Simonetta. We don't know. But there is only one known authentic portrait of her, also painted in 1480 by a terrific artist called Piero di Cosimo. We know it's her because it actually has her name on it. (laughs) It may have been painted by an earlier, it may have been painted as a copy of an earlier portrait that hasn't survived, but uh, have you had a look at this Piero de Cosimo painting, right? Yeah, let me whip this up. First of all, I'm a pro-nude, so I think this is a great painting. Not big into snakes, so that she loses two points for that, but uh, this painting is absolutely amazing, and the hair alone should win it whatever painting awards there are. Yeah, this is a fabulous painting. I really like it. It's of a portrait side-on, as was common, we know, in um, the Renaissance, uh, quite pretty, not as beautiful as a Botticelli, but she's she's definitely a, an, an eight out of ten. I'd yeah. say, yeah, an eight or a nine. And I don't mean eight or nine beers. I mean right. no beers necessary no, no. for her. She's just know. hot. She's cute. straight up, straight yeah. up hottie. Yeah, yeah. Her hair is pulled back and tied up with diamonds and pearls in some sort of elaborate. Almost uh, uh, George Lucasy kind of hairdo yeah, here, yeah, yeah, Padme, something Padme would be, but it's <laughs> but it's again golden hair, right. bit a bit of old orangey blondy golden hair with a red scarf or something in it. Uh, but she's topless. This is the most striking thing, obviously, of the painting. Perky little A cup, more than a handfuls <laughs> of waist boobs. Uh, <laughs> Very, very tasty looking yeah. uh, boobs, I have to say. Um, and this, but this again, of course, is striking nudity, 1480 of a, a real woman in a painting. This must have been really outrageous at, at the time. Well, if I can take it in a slightly di- different direction, I had read that that for some people at the time, the, the humanists, that the, the breasts would not have been as shocking because what it is is it's an allusion to chaste Venus. Now, why you have to show someone half naked to show that they're chaste is a mental leap that I can't make. And and one poet's uh, allegory equated toplessness with the symbol of a wedding, as in she was about to give herself to her husband. So it was something... About sex, but not sexual. So, uh, so I, I really wasn't sure how to think about that because, yeah, in this day and age, her breasts are showing. Is this meant to be provocative? I just assumed it was. I read a very long and detailed article written by the guy who create who curated, not created, uh-huh. curated. 
a major exhibition at, I think, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of New York or somewhere like that. It was all about nudity in the Renaissance. Uh, So he's like a world expert on this, and he said uh, distinctly that this would have been and was considered outrageous and and, and, uh, racy to the max during this period. But... The thing to remember is this painting, we don't really know who commissioned it or why, but it was probably commissioned by her husband, probably a oh. wedding gift. Uh, so it would have been Margot Vespucci and would have been kept in a private room of his house. So it's basically getting a, like a naked, sexy photo of your wife that you keep in the bedroom to jerk off to, right? It's <laughs> And maybe, sure, you invite some friends to come around and you all jerk off to right. it uh, or individually or at the same off. time. Right. right. Maybe, maybe you charged money, had a little booth that people could go into, and there's a painting of your wife and they could jerk off to it. I, like, right. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not judging this, no. but um, yeah. this, is, uh, this is not Venus here. This is his wife. Uh, yeah. If, if in fact the attribution of it of Simonetta Vespucci and it has her name on it, assuming that that attribution is contemporary with the rest of the painting, um, it's beats Botticelli. Now, here's the thing though: mm-hmm. Piero di Cosimo was born in Florence in 1462, so he would have only been 18 when he painted this. Um, right. I'm assuming or hoping that he asked her to model for it. Yes. Painted with an uh, erection. Uh, yeah. Now, which was very unusual for women to model, particularly naked, for artists in this period. Highly uh, unusual. Right. Uh, which is why women have not painted very well during the Renaissance, as you didn't get them to model in the nude that easily. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, he got someone else to model in the nude, maybe his girlfriend, and then he just painted her Simonetta's face on it. But, yeah, the snake around her neck is interesting. Uh, she's got a gold um, chain around her neck with a thin asp uh, entwined around it. Now, to me, that brings back both the Cleopatra story of the asp on her breast oh. and, of course, the Eve story of a snake telling her to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge right which as we learned in a recent episode may not have been an apple may have been a uh, pomegranate mm. uh but uh i'm wondering what he's suggesting with this as he painted it after she died right has it got something to do with her as a temptress to giuliano and the people of florence with her great beauty is it something? Well, yeah, of course he couldn't have got her to model for it if he painted it four years later. Dummy me, she was dead. Maybe he got a dead body to model for Kinky. it. I don't know. Um, maybe uh, the snake is like something about her committing suicide. Maybe that's why she died. Maybe she did commit suicide, Cleopatra style, because she couldn't be with her lover Giuliano. Right. Uh, although I've read no suggestion of that in any of the history, so I'm just making that shit up there. But- I don't know, but uh, who knows. Let me let me give it a slightly different twist. Uh, art historian Nor- Norbert Scheider, 
Schneider said that uh, when it comes to the snake, he said this was inspired by late classical antiquity. So the snake biting its own tail would symbolize the cycle of time and rejuvenation. So associated with Janus, the Roman god of the new year. So maybe this was, you know, pre-Christian motivation. And it was just borrowing from some of the uh, culture from Rome obviously that they were very obsessed about. So maybe it was just something thrown back to show an element of time because it's with the snake biting its own tail or almost biting its own tail. It's a complete circle going around and coming back again anew to rejuvenate. Or or maybe the immortality of her beauty. She will be remembered forever as, in fact, she has been for her great beauty. Um, Anyway, I was, I was going to say that in 1480, around about the time he painted this, Piero de Cosimo mm-hmm. went to Rome with his master Cosimo Roselli right. and booty call to paint the Sistine Chapel for Pope, Pope Sixtus. Oh. So maybe he had that with him or painted it there and he said to booty call, hey, you want to see, Booty Call said you want to see something sexy and yeah. showed him his uh, Holofernes paintings. Right. And uh, Piero said, oh, I've got one for you. I got showed him beat. this with boobs. He's like, hey, look, man, painted boobs. Simonetta's boobs. That's right. And Booty was like, you can paint boobs? <laughs> he was like, hell yeah, Nobody man. Nobody told me. And oh, my God. Booty went, hold my beer. Go straight back to Florence. <laughs> And paints the Primavera and then the birth of Venus. So the birth of Venus commissioned by one of the Medici, uh, along with the Primavera, as I think I said in an earlier episode, maybe it was commissioned by Lorenzo di Pier Francesco de Medici. Still debated, but uh, that seems to be the conclusion of most scholars. Maybe as a gift for Lorenzo, but maybe just as a gift for himself because it was kept at the Villa di Castello, a country house outside of Florence, that Lorenzo di Pier Francesco de' Medici bought in 1477. He and his brother bought it. The painting, both the Primavera and the Birth of Venus were kept in this house until 1815. Wow. When they moved to the Uffizi Gallery. Wow. So, yes, they were sexy and racy and pagan, but they were hidden from the general public. You could see them, but you had to get an invite to the country house of Lorenzo (laughs) di Pier Francesco de' Medici. (laughs) Yeah, hey, I'd love to come out to your country house sometime and, uh, yeah. Vasari mentions it a hundred years later. He says, uh, in many houses, Botticelli painted plenty of naked women and accuses him of serious disorders in his living. Mm. Not exactly sure what that means. Was it butt fucking or was it uh, something else? Just painting painting naked women. Maybe that was his disorders in living. It's a rock star. Now, the conclusion that it... The conclusion that it was uh, a gift for Lorenzo the Magnificent is based on the fact that in the uh, birth of Venus, the laurel trees at the right and the laurel wreath worn by the Hore, uh-huh. the girl on the right. right, 
referring to the name Lorenzo, laurel trees, laurel wreath, Lorenzo. Ah. But of course, Lorenzo di Pier Francesco de Mici name was Lorenzo as well. So maybe it was that Lorenzo, not sure. the other Lorenzo. Uh, we don't know. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, when Boudicol was in Rome painting the chapel, he may have seen the boobs right. in uh, Pierre de Cosimo's painting. He may have also seen the Venus de Medici sculpture, which didn't get to Florence until 1454. He may have seen that in Rome and gone, boobs! <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thought, hell yeah, if you can sculpt them, right. I can paint them. That's right. No more limits. The reason, yeah. I mean, it's assumed that he'd seen the Venus de Medici because uh, the pose of Venus in the birth of Venus is very similar to the pose of the uh, Venus de Medici. Were you um, in the Louvre with no. us in Paris? No. Oh. So the, the, the guide that we had at the Louvre was fantastic. And she told us about the, the story of the Venus de Medici and the Venus de Milo mm-hmm. and why the Venus de Milo is so famous. Right. Uh, have you ever heard this no, story? please tell me. I love a good yarn. Well, the Venus de Medici was uh, first discovered and it was, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a statue from antiquity. Mm-hmm. It was in Rome, then it was taken to Florence in 1584, as I said, and then Napoleon, when he was making his way through Italy, he said, well, that's nice, that would look good in Paris, so he took it back to Paris with him, the Venus de' Medici, and it was in the Louvre. After Napoleon was defeated, the Mm -hmm. uh, Italians said, we want that back. And the French were really fucking annoyed because they liked it a lot. Yeah, that's annoying. But it got taken back right. to Italy. Um, but then the Venus de Milo was was discovered a few years later on the island of Milos, Milo, Milos, Milo. And uh, the French got their hands on that and went... This is even better than the Venus de Medici. They took it to the Louvre and they made a huge song and dance out of it. Right. uh, To try and make up for the fact that they'd lost the Venus de Medici. Um, And, and in fact, I think they're probably right. I think the Venus de Milo probably is better. But they just made such a big fuss out of it, uh, marketed. They got Barry and Stan in, paid him a fortune, marketed the hell out of the Venus de Milo, which is why the Venus de Milo was probably in some ways more famous than the Venus Medici. But there was there's a corollary or a corollary, there's an addendum, that's the word I'm looking for. Right. To this story. Let me just bring up the details uh, so I remember the name. Yeah. Uh, the names behind it. So the French never got over the fact that the Italians took back the Venus de Medici. Right. So in nineteen eleven an Italian, Vincenzo Perugia, was working at the Louvre, or I think he'd been a former worker at the Louvre, and 
he uh, wanted to sort of uh, get revenge for this whole Napoleon taking the uh, Venus de Medici right. for all those years. He walked into the Louvre one day and walked out with the Mona Lisa <laughs> under his arm. Jesus. Right. Now, <laughs> the thing is, for people who don't know, and I guess we'll talk about this more when we get to the Da Vinci episodes, but the Mona Lisa was so unimportant at the time that nobody noticed oh, fuck. that it was missing. Right. It was just one of a number of paintings on a wall. I think they had a number of da Vinci's on a wall and it was one of them. And no one really noticed for like several hours that it was gone. Somebody went, hey. And they were like, hey, wasn't there? What was there? They didn't know what was there. They had to go and dig up some records. Oh, there was this painting of some woman. Look on her face. Yeah, Yeah. The Mona Lisa. Yeah. So the fact that this Da Vinci was stolen became a big deal and it was he was eventually uh caught. He had it hidden in his apartment in Paris. Sorry, in his apartment in Florence. He took it to back his apartment in Paris, mm-hmm. then he took it to Florence, kept it in his apartment in Florence for two <laughs> years in a trunk. Oh right. Good call. And, uh, you know, they, they, they hadn't caught him and he kind of wanted to get caught. So he finally basically contacted a, a gallery owner in Florence and must have let it slip. And, um, you know, me, I think he said, look, I've got this painting. How much do you want for it? And uh, the guy went, hey, <laughs> hold on a second. Called the director of the Uffizi Gallery who authenticated it. Uh, and then uh, they called in the police who arrested right. him then when it got back to the Louvre, it was, well, first of all, it was exhibited all over Italy. Then, because the Italians were like, hey, it's, a, it's an Italian yeah. the painting, uh, but then they gave it back to the right. French. And it was famous for the first time, never been famous. No one gave a shit about the oh, wow. uh, Mona Lisa until just over 100 years ago. Right? We should steal our podcasts. Um, Maybe they'll become well known. Yes, yeah. Please steal this podcast. (laughs) Perugia was released from jail, uh, served in the Italian army during World War I, married, had a daughter, returned to France and worked as a painter uh, using his birth name Pietro Perugia. So there you go. But then it became, it was only famous because it got stolen. Lesson learned. Before that, no one gave a shit about it. They were like, that's just some ugly bitch. And why Why would he paint that? She's like not even yeah, smiling. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Apparently he wanted he wanted to take it back to Italy because uh, it was stolen by Napoleon uh, as well. Like the, that's that's the story. Not the, not the Venus, but it ties into the Venus. It was part of the stuff that was stolen by Napoleon. Right. He wanted it to be taken back to his home mm. country. That's there fair. There you go. Anywho, where we where were we? Uh, fuck. Uh, naked women. Venus. Oh, Venus de Medici. Yes. Okay, so let's look at the birth of Venus. Ray, what is the first thing that your eyes are drawn to? It's, it's drawn to her. It's drawn to her beauty. Her um, very odd. Well, not odd. S- some look on her face, the beauty of her hands. Uh, I between 
the people blowing on the left and the woman on the right, the Hora trying to hand her a cloth, your eyes are kind of focused to the center, to Venus herself, and she is perfection. Yeah, well, the first thing I see is boobs, I have to admit. <laughs> I mean, I go to her face and then my eyes quickly right. go down to the boobs. Right. Um, she has she has perfect, perfect yeah. breasts. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit bigger than an A cup, maybe a B <laughs> cup, I think, in here. We could go as high as a C. Do I hear, do I hear C once? Do I hear C twice? No, I'm just joking. Um, yeah. Obviously... She is, she is beautiful. I don't know what it is. There's something about her. It's just this classical beauty. She's got almond-shaped eyes. Her nose is a little on the, the large sides, okay. but her lips are quite yeah. her lips are quite thick, quite uh, full. Yeah, they are. Um, she... She also has this serene look on her face that the Madonnas have, but it's not a bored yes. look. It's a faraway yes. look in her eyes. She's the girl with the faraway look in her eyes. She's thinking about maybe a man. She's thinking about maybe avocado on toast that she wants to have for lunch. You know, maybe she's sale. thinking about, right. wow, yeah. I'm rubbing my hair on my clit, and that feels really good. I gotta say, I'm gonna do this. I know I've just been born from the sea, but this I like it. This rubbing myself, rubbing my clit, I like it. I think I've discovered something I really (laughs) like. Yeah, and you know, quite honestly, with the hand on the clit and the the one hand on a breast, the other one looks like it's going for the nipple. Yes, I think she's rubbing one out. I think that's <laughs> what this is telling us. Is she and that look in her eyes? Yeah, she's almost. I there. think she's rubbing yeah. one she's out. Picturing. She's only been. She's only. She's only been born. She's only been alive for thirty Doesn't seconds. Matter. She's already rubbing Doesn't one out. Matter. She, she well, she is the goddess of love and beauty. After all, yeah. what else would you expect but to from the goddess of love out. and beauty except to be rubbing one out yeah. within thirty <laughs> seconds? Um, Let me ask this. Real- her hair yeah. is. Let me ask this real quick. I had read that um, this this was a departure, and this was going to be shocking because it's almost a full nude. Most of the nudes before this, besides the various va- versions of Venus throughout the years, most of the nudes were pretty much Adam and Eve, you know, going out of the garden, that kind of stuff. So this was going to be shocking, and she's... It's not like she, she's even got a cloth on. If it wasn't for her hair and her hand, she would be 100% nude. And again, you just got to wonder... Is this? Are they getting away with this because it's a Medici, or because it's going to be in a private house where only people, only very few people, can see it? I'm just trying to get over because it's so dazzling and yet so risque. There must have been considerations or a plan when it was commissioned. Well, I've already explained that it was held in the private house of Piero di Francesco. Right. For three hundred years, I'm sure word got out, but as long as you can't see it, I guess people can't years. get worked up about it. I, I see your point. Yeah. yeah, it was probably with the Primavera in a private room. I mean, this mansion, this country villa, probably had eighty-seven rooms, <laughs> and you know, one of the rooms was the masturbatorium <laughs> that you would be taken into right? if you, you know, signed uh, signed up for an annual membership and paid the fees, <laughs> jumped through the hurdles, had an interview. Right? Uh, took a lie detector test, gave your first daughter as in bondage, etc., etc., etc. You got to see, yes. you got into the masturbatorium, you got to see this, and uh, everyone was given a clamshell to masturbate oh, into. That's classy. When you entered like the room, that. 
I know, yeah. right? Yeah, and you got to take it home with you as a memento <laughs> of your visit. Put it, put the other clasp of the shell together. Put it around a necklace, a gold chain. Yeah. Boom. Oh my god. We're gonna sell. Oh. We're gonna make a mint. Oh, oh my god. You can exchange it with friends for their clamshells full of semen. Oh my god. We're on to something. Who's gonna count all this money? A little bit of mix and match. A little bit of yours. A little bit of mine. The early sperm banks were actually clamshells or scallion mm-hmm. shells. I have no idea. Wow. Anyway. So that's the first thing yeah. that I see with this. Now there, um, she she uh, well, she's coming out of a clamshell, obviously, which is supposedly a symbol for a vagina. Right now, if I ever saw a vagina that looked like a clamshell, <laughs> a clamshell, I would run in the yes, opposite direction. With my penis. Now, yes. yes, okay, I'd probably try to fuck it first because. <laughs> Come on, it's a vagina. But then I'd right. probably run away yeah. in pain. Now, this is another thing that I've always been fascinated with. If you look at most pictures of the Virgin Mary, right. if you look closely, you'll see that she's also coming out of a vagina. Uh, these are especially in, like, hmm. uh, Latin American, like the Virgin of Guadalupe. Right. If you look at these or, or, or a lot of your Catholic sculptures and images, I used one in my film because I was sneaky about that. Right. You'll see, quite often you see paintings or sculptures of Mary. She's dressed in flowing robes with a hood and she's holding the robes sort of open around her and it looks like a, a labia. Right. Her, her robes look like a labia. She's in the Guadalupe one. She's often surrounded by like a uh, a glowing yeah. effect, which is also looks like a labia. Oh, totally. She's in the middle, and quite often her robes are pink and red. Mm-hmm. And then her head is little hooded head there. That's the clit. Her head's the clit, and her robes are her labia. I'm learning a lot. Um, if you search, oh yeah, no. If you search for the. Uh, the vagin, the vagina Mary, you might find. I got a Pinterest board where I keep pictures of this uh, to look at the vagina Mary. Um, but yeah, like, so that's this is like it's symbolism right. again for those who know. It's symbolism of the birth uh, and and uh, new life and all that kind of stuff. You know, these sorts of images have been built into art from day one, mm-hmm. and you know the Christian artists did that as well with Mary. Um, they didn't go around going, it's a You're pussy, right. look, look closely, it's a pussy, Sex get it? Cells. Um Yeah, well, no, yeah, but I think it's symbolism yeah, yeah, yeah. and probably, Fair. I don't know. Yeah. But this is this is another version of that, the birth of Venus. She's supposed to be, the clamshell is the vagina right. in this case that she's coming out of. Now, there are two angels to the left of the frame, male and female, and I only noticed that this week. Um, look, if you look closely, the male angel is pretty scary. These are the Zephyrs right. uh, that Poliziano talks about. The male angel it seems to be blowing at her with his super breath. Sure. Uh, the female angel is also blowing faintly at her. There is roses, pink roses falling from the sky around them, again, which harkens back to Poliziano's poem. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the female angel, what do you notice about the female angel, Ray? 
is she also got the same color hair? Um, she's naked. Is that her breast? It's kind of hard to tell the way it's turned. She's wrapped around him. She's dry humping him mm-hmm. in a good way. I think she's got good technique. The, she looks, she looks just like the Venus. Yeah, she's like the same woman, basically. Same eyes, same lips, same nose, same hair, same facial shape, yeah. same breasts. Oh. She's basically a, a copy of Venus, and yes, she's clinging to his side tightly. She's dry humping <laughs> his uh, his hip, uh, hip bone there. Yeah, it, it's quite obvious to me. She's showing some angel boob, which is the sexiest kind of boob. It's and she has. Why is she clinging to him? She has wings. She has, yeah, yeah. Why is she clinging to him? It's obvious to me they just fucked. They were fucking in space, right? And he looked at the clock and he went, "Oh, hold on a sec, love. I got a quick bit of blowing on <laughs> Venus's boobs to make her nipples erect. Just hold on a minute." And he they rushed off. Bring your roses. Right. We might need them. <laughs> he, uh, he 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 he. They fucking. Yeah. These are fucking angels, sexy angels that were fucking, Ray. Yeah. Look at that. The way, look at her hands, the way her hands are entwined around him. There's no reason for that. Right. There's no reason for her to be grabbing it unless they're fucking. This is passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is, this is, I mean, you can't get any closer than they are. But yeah, is that necessary? Because you've already got a, a completely naked woman in the center. Why do you need to have. Slightly paused sex in it as well. Because it's hot, Ray. Yeah. It's sexy. Her toes That's are why. sexy too. I'm normally yeah. not into toes, but his toes are sexy too. What is what is going on? I am I am turned anyway. Yeah, what's happening to you? I don't know. Yeah. Now uh Zephyr or Zephyrus are like the gods of the wind. The, I think they're blowing her to shore yeah. here. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, on the right, there's another babe trying to cover up Venus with some sort of red robe. And I'm like, hey, cut that shit out, <laughs> lady. What are you doing? She's perfect just as yeah. she is. Yeah, what are you doing? Get away from you it. You suck. Maybe the Zephyr's trying to blow oh, blow the yes, other woman because away. Because the wind is catching it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. The wind's blowing. It's like, hey, well, so is her hair. You look at her hair. It's being blown right. by the wind. But he's like, hey, fuck off with that thing. Don't ruin You're perfection here. here. Let us just look at it for a little. I'm, I, I'm nearly done. I'm ne- just give me 30 I'm more seconds. One. I'm looking at another. It's a good day. Fuck off with the robe already. Yeah, yeah. Come over here and cut my balls if you want to be useful. I said cut, not squeeze. Well, okay. Now, now that you've taken it that far, let's squeeze. Anyway. Yeah, the woman on the right is one of the um, the three Horus uh, Greek minor goddesses of the seasons. This one, because of the flowers on her dress, the flowers on the robe, the flowers around her body, she's probably the Hora of spring. Who knows? But you're right, she's about to commit a crime. She's about to cover up Venus. Well, let me read uh, from Gebhardt's book. Mm. I'll read from that and a few other sources just to finish this up so we'll see what the, uh, the experts say right. about this painting. Venus, nude, standing and almost faltering on the curved edge of a large shell, is about to set foot on a lush coast, 
To the left, there are two aerial spirits of opposite sex barely covered by fluttering draperies with large wings, their arms embracing each other and their legs strangely tangled. Mm. With their stormy breath, they are pushing the seaborne shell towards firm land. The attire of the nymph to the right resembles Primavera's flowers, speckled robe and hairstyle. She emerges, rushing from a cluster of trees, her right hand holding out a cloak to the goddess, surely to cover her feminine charms. In the background, one can see the sea and some flowers falling out of the skies. The hair of Venus is fluttering in a disorderly fashion. She is pressing one of her breasts with her right hand. With the left, she is protecting her chastity, holding her hair like a scarf. She is tall, very refined, of a design as if she was meant to be seen from afar. She is bending her somewhat sad face and her eyes seem to be saying, why have you torn me from the peace of the depths, from the divine freshness of the sea? I think she's saying, come get it, big boy. But again, that's just me. Yeah. 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 Come watch me rub one out and then do me hard from behind. Do I have a cigarette um, or a cigar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gabhart says her nudity is not triumphal, but rather virginally shy. Ooh. Not, mm, not. Which just makes it hotter. But she's not filled with shame like Eve departing Eden. She's just like modest. No. Yes, it's sexy. Mm, And I still think with that distant look in her eyes, rubbing one out. Right. Um, No shame. He says she is sweet. She is sweet and plaintive like Eve, who, after having eaten from the fatal apple, is searching the woods of paradise for the fig tree that would lend her its leaves for cover. I like that. According to some other experts in books that I stole from, it practically embodies the rebirth of civilization, a new hope, geopolitical, social and cultural shift which occurred after the Middle Age turmoil. I like that. So this is the rebirth of civilization in uh, the rebirth or the birth of Venus. I hadn't thought of it like that before, but that uh, is possible interpretation of it. Gotcha. If I could just real quick, I had read the exact opposite, and I think it was the Gephardt book. They were saying, um, this is not like the Primavera where you need to do a ton of analyzing and breaking it down a metaphor. It is a simple idea that has been done for a very long time, and it's just done very well, and it's very sexy, and it's meant to be enjoyed, and it's meant to be accessible, and it's just for aesthetic pleasure. And at the very least, it does deliver on that. It is just a beautiful thing to behold, to look at. I think you got that from Botticelli for dummies. I don't think you got that from Gebhardt, man. Well, that's not very nice. <laughs> Actually, I did get it from Gebhardt. Is there a Botticelli for dummies? No, but I did get that from We should. We should, re- we we should, should get those and analyze them. You did not. Yes, I did. I'll no, I was going to say, we should, we, should, we should write the Renaissance for dummies books. <gasps> Brilliant. We should come up with our own our own chain of books. Our own chain of books, which is dummies for cunts. <laughs> I mean, no, Renaissance for <laughs> For Volvos. Yeah. Yeah. Renaissance Renaissance for dumb cunts. <laughs> you know, maybe. I don't know. We should come up with our own series of books. Yes. 
That's what we're going to yes. do. Short, sharp, funny, sexy, dirty, filthy. Let's do it. I'm going to start work on that today. Nice. Um, okay, you did get it from the Gebhardt book. I Well, I didn't see that in there, but I'll take your word on it. But, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be right because, again, we don't know the details of this, so that's just someone's estimation based on what they know or they're guessing. The winged wind god on the left is Zephyr. Vasari claimed that this figure represents aura, a personification of a light breeze. Now, here's a big thing. It was painted on canvas. Mm-hmm. Actually, Why is that a big deal, Ray? Uh, that I don't know, but I did read somewhere it was actually painted onto a canvas and a part, and they had to sew it together. If I'm getting my paintings, I hope I'm not getting my paintings mixed up. Um, I don't. Yeah, no, it was painted on two can- pieces of canvas that were glued together. Glued. Yes, you're right. I, I don't know the significance of of painting on canvas. Why? Well, here's the thing. I hadn't realized mm-hmm. this at the time. Painting on canvas was a novelty. Oh. Most paintings, of course, that we've seen done are on to go on walls of churches, right, or public buildings. Mm-hmm. And they're there to be there, or frescoes on walls, right, or on wood on walls, and they're there. They're they're there to be there forever, right? They're not going anywhere. You're painting right. them there to be there for two hundred years. But when you're painting something for somebody's house, and they may move house oh, or have multiple houses, yeah, you I, need to have do. a painting that is portable. And so canvas emerged as a painting for particularly secular paintings that were being kept hidden indoors and were portable and, uh, I guess, maybe later on could be sold. But, uh, yeah, and, and they were, they were nice. reserved for paintings of philosophy or pagan stories, not really for religion, uh, and right. for, more, for more sexy stuff, not for or portraits, you know, of people, not for things that would be displayed in public. Displayed in public, do it on your wood. Do right. it if, if it's going to be in your house in private. You do it on your canvas. It's like the penthouse of painting. Little naughty, got to be able to hide it, move it around. I get that. I get. Hey, I yeah. found my father's penthouse when in the closet when I was fourteen. I get that. It's brilliant. Wow. Mm. Oh. Wasn't your father like a fucking fundamentalist? No, just uh, just a guy in the Air Force, uh, uh, as it turns out, banging uh, other women. And I have a couple of half-brothers, but uh, thank you for bringing up a painful <laughs> subject. <laughs> really? Are you, are you close? Do you hang out? No, no. It's way too awkward. So my dad was banging your mom while you were still married to me and I was a little kid. Uh, I wish you well in life, but I really don't want to know you. Take care. Oh, it's not his fault. No, it's not. You no. might have, you know, they might have connections. You might, you know, be into the same things. You might be like brothers. Do you have, do you have any brothers? I have two brothers. Oh, you don't need any more brothers then. No, See, I'd, I'd like a brother. Oh. I think of okay. you as my brother. Oh, you're my brother I'm, slash I'm, wife. <laughs> you're my brother wife. <laughs> you're not helping. Anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, your dad didn't get was wasn't sent down to Australia at any point in the like late sixties, was he? Oh God, I might have half Australian brothers. Oh my God, could be me. Could be you. I could be a half could brother. Be. Yeah, 
I'll check into it. I'll check into it. Do that. Yeah. Now, I also read that uh, this painting represents neoplatonic ideas of divine love in the form of the Venus. Remember, you know, this whole... uh, Platonic love of of Simonetta, that kind of stuff. Right. Maybe there was something Bullshit. going on there. Yeah. Maybe it was related to you know the birth of Venus and the birth of Christ. Uh, talking of maybe it's like well you know this whole born of a miracle thing that we've seen that before. Venus oh. was born of a miracle. Right. Maybe there's a connection there for people who are educated in humanism in the 15th century. By the way, I want to talk about the, the the story of the myth of Venus for people that aren't familiar with their Greek and Roman mythology. The Latin name Venus means love or charm. Think of the words venerable or venerated, comes from uh-huh. the same root as Venus, right. much loved. Um Cool. Probably, the, Venus was probably the combination of a native Etruscan goddess and the Greek goddess Aphrodite. The Romans you know, probably merged them as was their want. And, mm-hmm. of course, she was the great, 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 great grandmother of Julius Caesar. Of course she was, yes. According to Hesiod... The classical poet Venus was conceived when Cronus castrated his father, sure. the god Uranus, <laughs> whose sperm flung out of his balls, sure. went that's, into that's the happened. sea, oh. and she was born from that. The sea right. foam. She came out of the the sea foam. Is Science. Uranus's semen in the water? Okay. Because right. he, he had a lot of it. I mean, right. he was yeah, he was a god. Uranus, yeah. right? Godly semen, divine semen. Yeah. It's my yeah, rat divine name. semen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Can know. you give us a? Give us a verse of your the big hit off your first album, that first track um, that you put out, right? Uh, go. My, sticking my dick in the sea. Sticking my dick in the No, actually, I don't have anything. It's hour three and I'm tired. Uh, if you have any concept ideas, I would love to hear them. Born, born in Charlottesville. No? Chattanooga? Where were you born? Charlottesville? Charleston. 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 Born in Charleston. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my life does not lend itself to rhymes. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have set you up that way. I apologize. I'm just a white boy doing the best I can. I'm just a white a boy, a bubble boy. I'm not your little pocket toy. <laughs> Give me <Yeah>. some respect. <laughs> Let me ride on your neck. <laughs> Don't be giving me D'Angelo. I want to be your friend, uh, yo. Don't keep me in the friend zone. I can I can get it up. It might only be three inches, but I never heard no argument from those other bitches. Mind you, they were all midgets. And asleep. Don't weep for me. 
Oh, you're mixing up the rhyme scheme. I like that. Thank Throwing you. the rhyme in the middle of the line. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Mm. <laughs> oh. uh, now, Poliziano, when he's mm-hmm. talking about Venus, as I read earlier, he talks about her being driven towards the shore on a shell by a Zephyrus, one mm-hmm. of the gods of the wind, and the Horae of the season. So basically he's uh, booty calls taken straight from Poliziano's version of it. Oh. But here's something you may not know. Simonetta Vespucci was born on an Italian coastal town called Porto Venere, which I thought meant the the port of venereal disease, but no, it means the port of Venus. Nice. And and Florence being... Yeah. I mean, this is probably common knowledge. Florence is a pretty small town. People are talking to people. This probably, because she is a celebrity, this information probably gets out and it could have been picked up by Botticelli or who was ever commissioning, you know, the painting. Who knows? Well, he probably knew. He knew Simonetta. He, she probably told him. He's like, where are you from, babe? She's like Porto Venere. He goes, right on, right on. Well, he wished he was banging her, I think, like everyone oh, right, in right. Florence. Not Botticelli. Right. Shh. She she was the she was the uh, uh, Angelina Jolie of her time. Right. Yeah, seriously. Everybody wants Speaking to, of which, but only Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, the Terry Gilliam film from 1990-ish, you got to watch it or if not watch the video clip on YouTube of the Birth of Venus sequence from that where he has Uma Thurman Playing Venus, yeah. uh, merging oh, out oh, of oh, a oh. clamshell, naked, yes. covering herself with her hair, uh, and uh, Oliver Reed as her husband Vulcan, crushing a Hilarious. piece of gold that he pulls out of his pants, turning into dough. Isn't yeah. it great, Oliver Reed? Yes. Fuck man, so good. That yeah. was probably one of his last films, I guess. Maybe that or yeah. one of the Three Musketeers films. But uh, he was so good in that film. It's a great film, underrated film, I think. Baron oh, Munchausen. I, I haven't watched the full thing for many years, but I need to sit right. down and watch it again. We'll have a watch party. Oh, no, of course, he was in Gladiator. That was his final film, I think. He died mm. uh, just after they made that. Hmm. Yeah. Bar- Baron Munchausen was 1988, and he made Gladiator in 2000. Yeah. I, d- I don't oh. like to remember that, though, because. It has Russell Crowe in it, and of course, <laughs> and it was directed by, you know, what's Scott. his face, Ridley. One of not, no, yeah, one, not one of Ridley's good films. Yeah, <sighs> great cast though outside oh. of Russell Crowe. Great cast: Joaquin Phoenix, Richard Harris, Derek Jacobi. Oh know, yes, but uh, just just should have cast someone else, not Russell Crowe. Why? Anyone else but Russell Crowe. Why did you do that? Russell Crowe's like, I am an actor. Can you see me acting? Are you not entertained by my acting in this scene? Look at me while I act, all you people. I'm like, yeah, we're not supposed to be able to tell you're acting, dude. Like, that's called acting. We're supposed to right. we're supposed to think you're the, really that person. You just look right. like you're fucking acting in every movie. Yeah. Right. I don't understand what you mean. Yeah, no, not not. And when he, did you you probably didn't see Lay Miz, but it was hard to watch him in that. I did actually. Okay. I did. I did. It was hard to watch everything about that film, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anywho, uh, she was born in the Port of Venus. Now, 
uh, in Roman theology, Venus is the watery female principle central to not just the generation of life, but the balance of life, (laughs) which reminds me of... uh... This is what it is, okay? I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now, you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. You put water into a botticelli, it becomes a botticelli. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. What is that from? Yeah, thank you, Bruce. That's Bruce Lee, man. Bruce Lee being interviewed. Nice. Bruce Lee is water philosophy. Become water. And actually, you know, that's you know, you know, it's my part of my three illusions. I should have used that, but it's basically, you know, you just be whatever's happening around you. You don't fight it, you just be like water. You know? Yeah. Things are happening, you just flow around the things that are happening. That's how you live life with no stress, no anxiety, no fear, no guilt. You just flow around whatever's happening. You just to go with it. Go with what's already, ever going on, man. I'm already a wave on the ocean of life or the universe, so yeah, I'm halfway there. Probably too much background noise there. Yeah, I'm I'm a leaf on a wind. Oh, from uh, from Firefly or Serenity, actually. Um, Roman theology, yes, water, female principle, balance of life. Her male counterparts in the Roman pantheon are Vulcan and Mars. Sometimes she's said to be married to Vulcan. Sometimes she's said to be married to Mars or a lover of Mars, which is why in uh, Lorenzo's poem she's saying to Mars come fuck me while Vulcan's not here ah, right. she again. absorbs and tempers the male essence uniting the opposites of male and female in mutual affection Aww. yes I like that absorb my male essence girl <laughs> so it used to be a pickup line of mine in the 90s hey baby you want to absorb my male essence Hey. Never worked out well for me, but uh, you know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sexual success, good fortune, prosperity, the goddess of prostitutes. Oh. Uh, She turns the hearts of men and women from sexual vice to virtue. The first known temple to Venus was vowed by Quintus Fabius Gerges during the battle with the Samnites in 295 BCE at a site near the Aventine Hill, supposedly funded by fines imposed on Roman women for sexual misdemeanours. Oh, that's not nice. Leave them alone. Well, well, I don't know. Depends what those misdemeanours were. If it was having lesbian sex but not giving all the men of Rome um, warnings so they could come and watch. Misdemeanor. Oh, that, this should That's be a, a fine. Yeah, yeah mis- total misdemeanor. Like, we, you know, you have to let us know this is going on or video it and put it up on a, right. a site or something. Put but it up I on want, Reddit, you know, put it, put it up. I want 
Good angles and good lighting and a soundtrack, please. Anyway, please continue. Mm, but not too, not too good. No, not too good. Because if it's too good, <laughs> I think it's fake. I like it a little bit right. rough, gritty. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't want it Keep to it look raw. like this is being produced in a studio. I want it to look, right. you know, at least fake amateur, if not real amateur. <laughs> if it's at least fake amateur, I can pretend it's amateur enough. Um, right. So, yeah, she was sort of a the, – the, the Romans took this uh, basic, as I said, Etruscan goddess probably, uh, merged it with the uh, Greek goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, just mashed it all up together. One of her symbols was the rose, hence the roses in the painting, I guess. Right. Um, here's here's uh, another book. I think this is one of the Medici books that we've been using. He's, he wrote about the painting. Despite the slightly unusual dimensions of her body, the elongated neck and her overlong left arm. Right. And again, he's known for elongating arms. You know, uh, James Caffin pointed out that one of the Madonnas that we pointed to a few episodes ago has an elongated arm. And as I said before, this if you're looking up, big arms, big hands and that kind of stuff uh, might be deliberate. They might look yeah. right if you're looking from the ground. I'm not sure if this is a painting that's designed to be up too high, though. I mean, not mm-hmm. really practical for jerking off itself up too high. Right. I mean, unless you're trying to jerk off on your chest. Maybe you, put, maybe you lie down, put the clamshell uh, on your belly and – Right. Or – depending on how well endowed you are on your forehead. And <laughs> maybe <laughs> they're on the ceiling. I don't know. Make the shot. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> make the shot. Oh, Take the I shot. Did say, um, <laughs> I did want to – just real quick, uh, Kiki saw me studying for this uh, for the show, and she had just covered the Renaissance, and she said that she had learned that the long neck – in this painting was because at the time that was considered long necks were considered pretty versus you know, maybe I guess maybe like a short and thicker one and that shoulders weren't considered attractive on women which is why generally you see a lot of minimized shoulders in uh, in some of the Renaissance paintings so for whatever that's worth you've also learned from a fourteen year old you're welcome yeah what about the long arms though like her her left arm the one covering her vajayjay is extraordinarily yeah. long. Yeah, I that I don't I the yeah, the proportion see look look at the shoulder right above the left arm. It's almost like non-existent. It just goes down. It just goes almost like from neck yeah, to it's arm. Sloped. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, maybe that makes yeah. the arm look even longer. I don't know, but but it doesn't take mm, away from could her be. beauty. Yeah. Uh she does look a little bit like Kiki. Have you ever thought about um you know, getting Kiki to uh, do like, anything, like, do a recreation, great. do a recreation of this. Yeah, let I me have a try. word to it. So, Kiki, okay. um, uh, how would you feel about getting naked and standing in a clamshell? Like your dad's fine with it. I checked with him. He said it's fine. <laughs> she's uh, she's fourteen now, so she wants to. Uh, she's proud of her body. She's trying to show it off all the time. I'm the one who has to tell her to go back in and change. So she would probably be fine with this. I think you're, I think you've got a client. <laughs> She'd be totally, totally up for she's it. She's on yeah. board. Yeah. She's, she, she's, is, is she betrothed to anyone yet? Uh, several people. Um, but we'll see how it pans out. Right. All right. I'll let Fox know his heart will be broken. Um, <laughs> 
Continuing with this, uh, I think it was the Paul Strathern's Medici book, he says, Botticelli's Venus is an incredibly beautiful woman with smooth, delicate skin and golden curls. She is born to the world as the goddess of beauty and the viewer is witness to this act of creation. As she lifts a foot to step off her gilded shell, the wind showers her with roses, each with a golden heart. According to mythology, the rose flowered for the first time when Venus was born, while the orange blossom on the tree in the middle ground is also fringed with gold. I don't see golden hearts in the roses. I can see something in the middle of them, but I've got a very small... Uh, I guess, screen-sized version of it here. Maybe you have to get up really close to see the golden hearts, but that's a nice touch. Um, According to the ancient Greek philosopher Plato, Venus had two aspects. She was an earthly goddess who inspired humans to physical love, but on the other hand... I don't need to be inspired. Just want to say that, Plato. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. You know, my yeah. problem, if I have one, is that I'm inspired too often during the day and got nothing to do with that inspiration. But that's the problem. You need to inspire us to yeah. have less, quite frankly, unless it's for women. Right. But, yeah. Speaking of which, for those of you who like, live near Cam, don't go to his house around midday. It's just not a good idea. Or do. Or do. Or do. <laughs> My wife's currently at Costco. Now's the time. Which is absolutely, you know, I'm about to finish this show incredibly horny after having looked at uh, Venus. And my wife's at Costco. Right. Anywho. um, On the other hand, she was a celestial goddess who inspired humans to intellectual love. Plato also argued that contemplation of physical beauty enabled the human mind to comprehend spiritual beauty. That means that when 15th century Neoplatonic viewers looked at the birth of Venus, they would have felt themselves being inspired to contemplate spiritual, that is, divine love. If this sounds somewhat airy-fairy, note that the birth of Venus and other similar works by Botticelli and others are now being seen as wedding paintings that recommend suitable behaviours for bride and groom. Dressed up as Venus in the wedding day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, here's a, here's, a, here's a really long red wig. Go for it. Let me see if I can understand what you're saying. So I look at Venus, all the blood rushes to my penis, but then detours and either goes up to my heart where I feel things or goes even further, goes into my head, and I have greater, superior, more deeper thoughts. Well, I don't know like about that. that as, I don't know, but that's, the, you know, you just come up with another line for the rap song. When I look at the birth of Venus, all the blood rushes to my penis. Now, I know you I can't re- tell the difference, but I can, and you don't hurt my feelings, motherfucker. Wait a minute, that's, that's personal. I pull out my Plato to understand the meanings. <laughs> Very, oh, God, we're going to have an album in no time. Ask my daughter, Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> she can she can be some cheeky. She can be so cheeky. Oh, okay, we're changing up the rhyme structure again. Okay, fine. Let's, we can oh, do I that. 
white 50 year old white boy rappers just what the world needs <laughs> uh, one, well listen two of them. i've come out i've yeah. written another book i've come out with a film my rap album has to be next when i'm knocking <laughs> off the bucket Where's list of drop? things that i have to do before right. i die i gotta drop my rap album yeah <laughs> Oh my God! All right, the world uh, I wanted my last note. I wanted to finish off with this is from Will Durant's book on the Renaissance. Nice and simple. He says, "The painting is a masterpiece of grace, in which design and composition are everything. Color is subordinate, realism is ignored, and everything is directed to evoking an ethereal fancy through the flowing rhythm of the line." With that. We'll be back next time, probably with more later, Botticelli. Why does it have to be confrontation, uh, conversa- confrontational? Fuck, we could rule the world. I mean, this would be great. I mean, if I have to be somebody. No, please tell me. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you can move off my penis. Bigger, it's different in the eye of the beholder. It's fun to talk about 